Have you tried Music to Code by yet? Well, why not? Here's a comment Joe left on the website. This is also great music to mow by. I like listening to music while doing yard work to help the monotony of it seem less tedious. This past summer, I started listening to these tracks while doing yard work, and they worked great! I could let the music play in the background without focusing on it, and it seemed to help me concentrate on getting through my tasks. Thanks, Joe. And you know, now you can download the entire 13-track collection. That's over five and a half hours of music to code by for only 39 bucks. Check it out at musictocodeby.net. Hey, welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. And uh, man, you know, the, the studio's looking pretty good these days, but I got to tell you, um, the weather is heating up a little bit, but just enough to make you crazy. Oh, I see. Not enough to turn the AC on yet? No, no. Well, no. And and also not enough to, you know, be outdoors as much as I want to be. It's yeah. just it's just in that, you know, just above freezing level. <laughs> it's like I want to wear a t-shirt just to be, you know, controversial or whatever, just to there say you screw you. I don't I don't care. Go ahead, freeze me and then, you know, it freezes me and then I'm like, nice. okay, I'm not wearing a t-shirt. Now, the Vancouver uniform is shorts, sandals and a Gore-Tex rain jacket, right? Yeah. We yeah. do that. Right. Because it's generally mild. It's mild, but it's raining. But it's wet. Yeah. Wet, and it's like a terrarium. Yeah. Our spring is in the deep gray right now. It's just very gray skies all the time. And it gets to people. It makes them crazy. Well, I had an experience recently with something that I talked about before in Better Know Framework, and I want to revisit it. So, roll the funky music. Awesome. All right, dude, what do you got? Do you remember I told you about my experience with Unraid? Unraid. Yeah. So this is a Linux distribution uh, that runs on a USB stick, and you boot it from a USB stick, and it's essentially this web server interface to a... It's called Unraid because it, it works like home server used to work, and now Windows Server does, where you just attach all these hard drives from disparate you know, sizes and right. and everything. You just attach a bunch of hard drives and it makes big volumes out of them. Nice. And it doesn't have the pitfalls that RAID has typically, which are, um, you know, rebuilding a RAID array is not a fun thing to do. Not a trivial problem. Not no. a trivial problem. And I've gotten bitten many times by that from drives that go bad and, you know, things that you think are going to be easy just turn out to be not. So... But I, I and, and you can get Unraid, it's free at lime-technology.com, lime nice. like the fruit. Uh, so I had this, long story short, I had it running and it was running for years and I had all sorts of hard drives, some that were old, some that were new, some that were smaller, some bigger. And I've got this gigantic, you know, drive now, a network drive that I use. And one of them, guess what? Failed. Failed. As they do. As they do. I ordered a new one, and it wasn't even the same size. I just ordered a brand new drive. It was, you know, two or three terabytes or something. 
And I just disconnected the old one, you know, turned it off, disconnected the old one, connected the new one, booted back up, told it to, you know, do its magic, and it just worked. Nice. And that was like the first positive experience I've ever had dealing with failed hard drives. <laughs> Seriously. That's funny. Yeah. Now, I don't know what happens if two of them fail at the same time. I don't wish to find out, but um, it, it could be that it, it'll really crash and burn if that happens there's always a limit right I, yeah. I funny i also had a drive failure on a on one of my big arrays uh running storage spaces which is microsoft's technology mm. and pretty much the same thing literally the os said it's this drive and turn the light on full time so i knew right away in my chassis which one it was yep i pull the drive out yep. mounted a new drive put it in it went can i use this yeah you can have that and it went okay yeah and that was it i never thought about it again it's just really, really cool. So, like I said, I've got a machine dedicated to this in the back of the office, and it's just it's just plugged in and taking up space on a table. I have so many hard drives that the case doesn't hold them all, so they're just <laughs> fanned out on their sides on oh, the table. Nice. You got a computer that looks like R2-D2 threw up. Exactly. It's a good thing I don't have cats at the studio. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> that would be a problem. Or cockroaches, for that matter. Yes. Yeah. So anyway, that's that's what I got today. It's a it's a story and it's also uh, technology. So know it, learn and love it. Yeah, who's talking to us, man? Uh, grabbed a comment off of show thirteen ninety eight. That's the one we did back in January of twenty seventeen with one Kate Gregory. Yeah, when we were talking about new C plus plus programmers and CPP con and all that good stuff, and I'm pretty sure our current guest heard that show, and that's how we ended up connecting up. Yeah. Uh, this particular comment comes from Blair Learn, who says, Another great show, folks. It's been more than a decade since I last worked with C++, but this has definitely piqued my interest. Yeah. Having, yeah. It just got exciting again. It's like, oh, I remember that. Yep. Having spent my share of time tracking down memory leaks, the stack semantics is com particularly compelling. But I still have scars, and I love the terminology, <laughs> from working with half a dozen different, not quite compatible string types. Has that improved any? Uh, you know, Blair, I'm going to check in with Jason when we get done with this, just to double check on that particular problem, because I remember it too. And uh, with any luck, uh, things are better. Well, you know, it it will improve if you just stick to one string type, but <laughs> we can't. That was always the explanation, right? <laughs> just use that one, not the others. But of course, yes. the problem, of course, is you've got old code and old code uses older conventions and types and things so definitely yeah we'll see i'm really excited to see what jason says about that too for sure so blair thank you so much for your comment a dotnet rocks mug is on its way to you and if you'd like a dotnet rocks mug write a comment on the website at dotnet rocks.com or via any of our social media because we publish every show to google plus and facebook and if you comment there and we read it on the show we'll send you a mug and definitely follow us on twitter he's at rich campbell i'm at carl franklin send us a tweet we remove the null terminators and set the code pointers on them <laughs> what could happen nothing could go wrong everything's <laughs> gonna be fine i feel fine no it's fine <laughs> all right let's bring on jason jason turner is a regular c conference speaker an independent contractor and a trainer he's the co-host of cpp cast the first podcast for c developers and host of c weekly a weekly YouTube video series about C++, which has been going with no interruptions for over a year. Jason co-developed ChaiScript, 
an embedded scripting engine for C++ with his cousin Jonathan in 2009 and has been refining it and maintaining it ever since. He's also developed two C++ video series with O'Reilly Media. Welcome, Jason. Hey, thanks for having me on the show. You're welcome. Should we uh, put those nulls back on the ends of the tweets uh, or... <laughs> Uh, you know, it's all good, I'm sure. Living dangerously, living dangerously. Nice. Yeah. What do you think? Strings. It's easier? Well, you know, so I, I've been programming in C++ professionally since 2002, and I've never had this problem with a half dozen s incompatible string types in one application before. I've never seen this. Yeah. I don't know where that comment came from. Well, could it come from the 1980s? Yeah, it could have. <laughs> Might have. How much source code from the 90s and before that? Have you uh, tried to run on modern C++ compilers? I, I haven't um, done that. I haven't done really C++ archaeology like that. <laughs> Although I will say, to be perfectly fair to this whole incompatible string thing, where I have seen applications with multiple string types come up is when you're using some GUI toolkit. You've got right. Visual mm -hmm. Studios, string types, or QTs, or WX widgets, or whatever, uh, everyone likes to reinvent their own string type, but I've never, you know, tried to use multiple large frameworks in one application at the same time mm. where I would have that come up. Isn't that a requirement for most college C++ uh, things that you actually have to create your own string type? <laughs> it's probably, <laughs> it seems like, you know, the thing that, uh, you know, hey, I did my own string type. Ooh, you, you can sit at the head of the class. You know, I recall linked list being a big deal when I was in oh, college, yeah. and now you're doing things wrong if you're using a linked list for the there most part. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So now I'm looking at a scripting environment using C++. That's a little weird. You're talking about ChiScript, I assume. Yeah, because, you know, you could have used Python. <laughs> well, <laughs> Python really does not want to be embedded in another application, um, regardless That's of what true. people want you to think. <laughs> yep. You, you, I wouldn't argue with you there, sir. So the idea is that you're writing an application, and this is for the end user, and the end user wants to manipulate, uh, do something that your application doesn't. So you're exposing some internal API through a script language, and if they know C++, they can use ChiScript to manipulate your app. This is basically what we're talking about, right? Right. Although, to be fair, I mean, ChiScript doesn't it's not 100% C++. It's just designed to be very, very familiar to C++ users as oh, far as the actual syntax goes. Okay. Well, hmm, is it closer to a higher level C family language like Java or C Sharp then? You could argue that it's closer to JavaScript if you wanted to make an argument because it treats functions as um, first class things. Okay. When I think of C++ and what differentiates it from every other C-like language is, um, well, first of all, the object orientation, but but also, you know, the low-levelness of it. I mean, the speed and the, the power and all that comes with pointers and all that stuff. But when I think of script languages, I think of dynamic languages like JavaScript and no pointers and none of that stuff. So, this is where my brain is kind of exploding. Right, yes. So, uh, ChiScript is definitely more dynamic. It does not give you uh, underlying access to pointers, although you could choose to expose those in the API that you expose from C++ if you want to. Mm -hmm. But the general concept is C++ is a highly efficient language. Let's make it 
extremely easy to export these efficient things to our scripting engine. So then we can just use scripting for the glue and we can uh, call our highly optimized C++ code if we wanted to. I get it. And so it's just for uh, applications that have been written in C++, but the yes. actual script language is more like a, the, the script language that you're, that you're used to, dynamic script language. Yes. Got it. I would say with one minor uh, thing, <laughs> and mm. that is objects in ChiScript have well-defined lifetimes as they do in C++. So you know when a scope exits, a object is going to be destroyed at that exit scope. Good. Yeah. And I'm not aware of any other scripting language that does that. Stack variables that you create in a function? I mean, in JavaScript, what happens to those when you exit the function? Are they, are they necessarily destroyed then? I'm not sure. Is there a guarantee? Could you no. rely on the destructor being called? I would guarantee not, since there aren't destructors in JavaScript. Yeah, you're probably right. If this is more of an eventual cleanup versus an absolute cleanup. Right, a right. garbage collection process. Right. Yeah, okay. And that's a that's a philosophical difference. I mean, they, with this, you know when you exit, it's dead. And that's really good for C++, because you obviously have to be exact about uh, life management. Yeah, I would say it's probably the most critical thing to understand about C++, yeah. is knowing the lifetime of your objects are. Right. Now, I mean, the reason we stopped caring or we, you know, started thinking about this differently is that sometimes those destructors take a while. Like you don't want that bonk as you exit. So it's like when I'm not so busy, when the next thing is rendered, then you can go do the cleanup. Or is it that, you know, we are just used to a bonk being defined as a garbage collection cycle, which really can, you know, take a long time in a, uh, you know, in a managed language like C-sharp or, or uh, Java. Whereas if you're constantly cleaning up a little bit, you're, you may be taking a little bit of a performance hit, but not enough to, not enough to, to cause alarm. Is that, is that a good uh, assessment? You know, from my perspective, since I'm a highly biased C++ developer, <laughs> is <laughs> the, you, if you're going to take a hit when an object is cleaned up, at least you know when and why and how that hit's going to be taken, yeah. not at some random point when perhaps you're doing something else that's important, which a garbage collected language would do. Yep, yep. So, C++ programmer, very deterministic. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I mean, and think about the stuff that C++ does really well at, you know, hardware manipulation, working at low level, working with hardware buffers, Right. Working right. with matrices of, of memory that's just ultra fast and, and has to be very precise and has to be very fast. So the kind of scripting things that you're doing there, um, you know, the, uh, I'm just thinking of audio, for example, it's a, or video is a perfect example of something that just has to be done at that low level. And if you're going to do some scripting, you're probably going to call some high level function like, you know, render this section of a video, and when you're done, you know, clean up after yourself. Right. So it's not like you're going to say render this, well, maybe you are, render this thing and this video, and then, you know, in real time, we're going to do some crazy, uh, crazy thing that, you know, can't uh, have any memory management stuff going on in the background. Yeah, I don't know. I'm trying to pull an example, uh, you know, out of my left ear. And probably not being very successful at it. 
Well, I will say for a little bit of history for how ChaiScript specifically ended up being not garbage collected okay. is mm-hmm. I actually started with it more as a garbage collected thing. I would periodically go and I would call objects and I would you know delete the ones that were no longer being used. But uh, ChaiScript has an inherent um, thread safety nature, nature to it. So mm-hmm. you can create your ChaiScript scripting engine, call it from multiple C++ threads, and have a high degree of confidence that things are going to work correctly. When I went to have both multi-threaded and garbage collection at the same time, my performance was destroyed. Right. Mm-hmm. And I realized for if I wanted inherent thread safety... I needed to not be garbage collected. I needed to handle my memory management on the stack in the current thread. It makes sense. And uh, what does header only mean? I know this is one of the features right on the chiscript.com website. Header only. What does that mean? No, no external dependencies? No external dependencies. You don't have to compile anything. You can literally uh, pound include chiscript.hppp and get off to the races. Wow. Nice. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by Stackify Prefix, an insanely cool and transparent and free profiler for developers. It runs in the background and catches bugs, including exceptions that get caught and thrown away before anyone knows you wrote them. Get detailed traces of every request. There's no messy configuration or code requirements, and best of all, it's fast and transparent. Hey, did I mention it's free? And not free like a puppy, free like beer. Download it now at prefix.netrocks.com. And here's something you don't think of um, <laughs> anymore. Uh, is portability, right? Uh, C is the ultimate portable platform, isn't it? I mean, it goes everywhere, except if you're yeah. going to call hardware-specific APIs. But So where does, uh, where does ChaiScript work? Um, I've tested it on, uh, Mac OS, Linux and windows, obviously, uh, 64 bit and 32 bit. And I have, um, tried a few more esoteric operating systems, uh, FreeBSD, not that FreeBSD is esoteric, but I have tested on FreeBSD mm. and, um, another operating system that I cannot recall. Oh, Haiku. Yes. Oh, I tested wow. it on Haiku also. Yeah. Well, it runs on Haiku. I'm getting it right now. Oh, yeah, I didn't well, even know what Haiku is. What is that? Uh, it's a open source re-implementation of BOS, essentially. Oh, okay. man. Wow. I did not know about it. BOS was awesome in its day. Right. So, I figured, you know, I may as well see if it's possible. Right. That's cool. So, you know, you mentioned that C is the ultimate in portable languages. And we also mentioned that I have a C++ YouTube channel. One of the things that I've done in the last couple of episodes is actually program for the TI MSP430 microcontroller (laughs) in C++14. Neat. And if you're not familiar with this particular microcontroller, the one that I'm programming has 2K of flash and 128 bytes of RAM. Okay. Yeah, Richard was telling me that you built something like a Commodore 64 emulator? Uh, no, I, well, I, no, I've never made a Commodore 64 emulator. That's, that's actually extraordinarily complicated. But I have um, programmed the Commodore 64 with C++17. I did that for a conference talk. So you brought a C64, a working C64? Yes. In 2016, a working C64 <laughs> 
put it on a stage and plugged it into something? <laughs> yeah, I had a um, an SD card uh, reader for the C64, which emulates an old Commodore 1541 floppy drive. Nice. Thing is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> That's so great. <laughs> so I I, uh, I on stage compiled a um I, I showed all the code for a pong simple very simple pong game written in C plus plus seventeen I compiled that for the Commodore sixty four copied it over to the SD card booted it up and played the game on stage that is so cool <laughs> so cool I was suspecting your SD version of the fifteen forty one had slightly more capacity yeah, uh well not really I mean it does but it has to behave as though it's a floppy drive so the right. commodore expects it to be a 1541 so it can't really right. so it, uh, yeah you have to partition it and stuff 170k is what you're saying you you made it you turned an sd card into 170k well yeah basically it's <laughs> <laughs> great one of one job i had I, I in my youth I repaired a lot of computers and one of the common repairs I did was for the first generation of the Commodore 1541s you could uh -huh. command the drive to seek to track 80 and the head would actually fall off the end of the rails because there was no bump stops <laughs> so you literally go tick 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 thud <laughs> this is bad for alignment <laughs> yes and so they, my fix kit for it, I would build these little kits up, is obviously put the head back on the rails, we'd put a pair of bump stops in, and then we'd realign the drive. But wow. yeah, 1541, that's my memory of it, was repairing the dang things. Hmm. And, and I, I'm sure you're aware, but maybe your listeners aren't, the 1541 was ridiculously over-engineered. It had the same CPU that the Commodore 64 itself had in it. Yeah. It had its own 6502. Yes. <laughs> wow. And I only just learned that the 1581, which was the three and a half inch floppy drive for the Commodore 64, which I owned one as a kid, mm. it actually had a two megahertz version of that. So it was actually running something twice as powerful as, this, as the Commodore 64 as the 64 itself 64 itself. Yeah. It was the high performance version, the WD-1770. <laughs> for no reason. I mean, no reason at all. It's ridiculous. Yeah, but uh, and what was it? Eight was it seven hundred twenty k on those? So you know, five times more storage than the five and a quarter smaller disc. Five times more data. It might be right. I know it wasn't high density. It might have been double density. Yeah. Might have been seven twenty. It's been a long time. Do <laughs> <laughs> you remember that? You know that save icon on your screen? Mm -hmm. Yeah, there, you, that used to be a physical manifestation. It was a piece of plastic three and a half inches across. Yeah, that's right. right. <laughs> yeah, people wonder why it has this odd shape. What is yeah. that? Why yeah. does that have to do with saving anything? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Now we're old. We're now all we're old. old. Thank old, you. Old, Sounds old. like it. Thank you. Very old. What are some of the other cool things that you've been able to do with Chai Script or even C++ for that matter? Um, well, I, you know, I'm having a lot of fun with the microcontroller stuff right now. Um, mm. But just in general, being able to prove that C++ can really... Uh, it's, a, it's a language that you can reason about the code that you type in. If I might back up for a second, you can reason what's going to actually execute on the hardware, mm -hmm. which is why we're able to compile it for these tiny systems that only have a few bytes of RAM, which, I mean, the microcontroller I've been playing with makes the Commodore 64 look huge right, from a yeah. capacity standpoint. Um, 
And, and then, then you have the Compiler Explorer. Are you guys familiar with that website? No, no. No. Okay, so this is gcc.godbolt.org, G-O-D-B-O-L-T. And it is a, a website where as you type in the code, it compiles it for you and then shows you the disassembly live. So you know exactly what the computer is going to be executing with your C++. Oh, that is so cool. Wow. <laughs> and that's, that's, uh, that's from Matt Godbolt. I'll give him a little plug. You, everyone should go follow him on Twitter. Um, he, uh, I mean, this tool is changing the way that a lot of people are programming because now they're saying, well, you know, should I be using data structure X or data structure Y? Well, let me type it in and see, you know, what the compiler is actually going to do with this. And mm. you get some just incredible feedback. Wow. You're literally writing, I'm looking at this thing. So on the left side of the screen, I'm typing in C++. Yeah. On the right side of the screen, I am seeing x86 assembler instruction sets. Yep. Yes. I have chills. And not just in Tell, right? I mean, there's you can turn that off and see it in other other formats. You can look at Intel or AT&T syntax. You can compile for 32-bit or 64-bit and uh, ARM, AVR, MSP430, um, MIPS, oh, all kinds of different CPU architectures. Holy and God. it has CL.exe, so we've got uh, Visual Studio's compiler on there also. Wow. That's pretty cool. All right, I'm impressed. Wow. That's a cool tool. That's all Matt's work. But that that kind of thing is changing the way I program in many ways because, you know. You, yeah, you can, you, you're just putting in an empirical aspect to, is this going to be the most efficient way to do this? Right. What does this actually look like across platforms? To so take a chunk of code you've written that works well on your on your core platform, doesn't work well on some other platform, you're like, why? To just be able to drop it in here, flip to that platform and look at the code differences that's being manifest. You're like, oh, okay, that's why. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then, then you flip some compiler switches and say, oh, look, if I turn on this switch, then it generates SSE instructions and I know it's going to be most efficient on the latest uh, CPUs or whatever. Right, yeah. And this is, uh, you know, this is one of the things that I love about C++ that you just aren't going to get from uh, other languages. Well, I mean... Rust and D are possible. You're not going to get it from C Sharp. You're not going to get it from yeah. Java. Yeah. No. Right. Well, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is now? Uh, it must be that happy time again. Yeah. Let's execute a pointer to 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 an array of pointers and see what happens. <laughs> uh, on an ARM processor. Nice. Yes. <laughs> well, as long as one of those pointers is zero, we're pretty sure we know what's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's actually time to give away a Component One studio to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But first, let me tell you about Grape City Active Reports. This is the reporting platform for all your business needs. Design, publish, view, print, and export operational reports like invoices, expense reports, tax and government forms, as well as strategic and analytical reports like sales performance, budgeting, and revenue analysis. Active Reports gives you the operation and flexibility you need to turn your data into informative, pixel-perfect reports across the enterprise. Awesome, dude. Who's our winner? Today's winner is Han Vermolen. Congratulations, Han. Yes. Golf clap for you, sir. Golf clap for Han. And he just won Component One Studio, a big pile of awesome from our friends over there. The first advertisers on .NET Rocks. Active yeah, reports. No kidding. Yeah. The original. Yep. 
Uh, just for being a member of the .NET Rocks fan club, Han won this. And if you don't know what that is, go to .NET Rocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the .NET Rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world, and every show we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we want to give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the fan club. But you got to sign up to win. And uh, Jason, let's ask you. It's your turn. If you had $5,000 to spend on technology today, what would you buy? And has to be technology toys. Well, you know, whatever you're interested in. Come on. It's a softball. You can, okay. you can go wherever you want. Well, I would probably rebuild my main build system and get a, one of the new AMD Ryzen setups. Oh. I'm thinking. Okay. What's, tell us about the AMD Ryzen setup. Um, well, I mean, I just, you know, I know Intel processors are, you know, still benchmark faster than AMD stuff, but I just can't bring myself to spend two or three times more for like right. the same performance essentially. Yeah. And I've got a, an aging octo core, um, AMD FX right now. Uh, that is my main build system. And it just seems like it would probably be time to upgrade that, get a new video card, which would then require I get a new 4K display. Of course. Yeah, of course. Which would then, I would have to upgrade my Roku to be one that supported 4K mm -hmm. and HDR. So, you know, it would just, it would be a cascade effect. It would cost a few thousand, I would think, by the time I was done. I have a 43-inch 4K screen, and you want it. It's, <laughs> it's about 50. It's, this screen makes me happy every day. And it's about $1,500, but it's worth every penny. 4K at 100 DPI does not suck that's a lot of screen space if you want to uh, mail it to me i can give you my address <laughs> <laughs> now that's a bubble envelope so, so are you looking <laughs> yeah. for an instantaneous compilation kind of thing is that where you're heading yeah you know let's be fair um so chai script i said it's header only um that that does come with a cost of compilation speed and i've tried to optimize the compilation speed of it and but that's just one of the projects i work on some of the projects i've worked on with clients have been you know things that take 30 or 45 minutes to compile depending mm -hmm. on what you're doing and you know wouldn't mind having a faster processor and right. it's also you know my main build system is also my gaming system so oh, okay it would work out well. Yeah, when I looked at AMD Ryzen, the, the you know the gaming was front and center. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not I'm not a big gamer, so the kind of games I play can generally be played while I'm compiling. So I can be like, well, I got to <laughs> compile, and maybe I can load up my game for thirty minutes at the same time. That's right. Use them cores. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's why you need at least eight cores. That's right. I've always got the sense that C++ programmers are a little more sensitive about hardware all around. And I, I feel like AMD's just gotten a short shrift lately. Yeah, I don't know why. Well, you go back to the 2000 Branding. time period, you know, when AMD, because Intel literally lost their minds, right? They <laughs> went down that path of SRAM with RAM, the RAM bus guys and this really dumb, really long instruction set pipeline that, you know, that was the P4, they, which they ultimately abandoned. You know, they really ended up going back to the P3 and then going multi-core. Well, because P4 was melting motherboards. It burned a couple of mine. <laughs> yep. It was a little warm. Was, my little capacitors warm. were swollen up like Shelly Winters. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. That was uncalled for. But in that time when Intel was going nuts, AMD caught up. AMD also solved the 64-bit problem, right? I mean, the X664, right. that was AMD. And, and when Dave Cutler wrote his Windows on Windows paper, 
That was the sort of cemented it because Intel, had, you know, the only thing stupider than the P4 architecture was the Itanium architecture, <laughs> right? They, that's why they eventually started calling it the Itanic architecture. <laughs> they, they just did 64-bit in a very painful way. And AMD came up, and I think it's just because they were constrained. They only had so much money and so many resources. Yeah. They came up with a very elegant 64-bit solution. And when Cutler endorsed it, that was that. You know, if if the father of NT says it's the right way to go, who's going to argue with them? Right. But yeah, once they once my, my Intel sort of got their head out of the sand and got moving again, they raced away on the TikTok, uh, but expensive stuff. But they just bobbled again. You know the uh, the Skylake uh, architecture that was a flawed chipset. There's no two ways about it. It just plain old had problems. Hmm. And here comes AMD with Ryzen, which is really quite beautiful. Higher clock rates. Because it's, it's a simpler instruction set. Okay. I'm sold. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'd build one. <laughs> <laughs> just give me the money. That's all you're asking. Just, yeah. Just, you know, so when does this $5,000 get delivered? <laughs> <laughs> Sometime in December. We've done it, you know, four years in a row now. And half the time people think we're Nigerian princes and don't want it. It takes a little while to talk them into it. What's but, amazing uh, with $5,000, you could buy an infinite number of chai script licenses because that it's, is true. It's free, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, is there anything that we're missing about chai script? I mean, it seems pretty straight ahead. I mean, you look at chai script.com. There's a sample right there. It looks like, it looks like a dynamic version of, of C and it looks fairly easy. Is there, is there anything that people need to know that we haven't talked about? I think uh, the, the thing that sets it apart um, from the other scripting solutions that are out there is it is really, truly designed from the ground up to integrate cleanly with C++. So, right. yeah. for example, if you throw an exception in C++, you can catch the exception in ChiScript. If you throw an exception in ChiScript, you can catch that exception from C++ caller. Hmm. If you have a function in C++, like a function object, you can pass that into ChiScript and call that function naturally. You can create a function in ChiScript and pass that back out to C++. And C++ can see this in a strong, type-safe way and call it as if it were a C++ function object. Hmm. Okay. I get that. Yeah, sure. So you, you have sort of the best of dynamic and code pointer based uh, uh, operation. Lambdas, no problem? Uh, lambdas, you can create a C++ Lambda and you can expose that to ChiScript. You can, ChiScript has its own version of Lambdas and you can yeah pass them back out to C++. You just, you know, since C++ is a compile time type checked language, you, you have to know in C++ at compile time, what type of function signature you're expecting back from the chai script, but then you can do whatever you want to once you know what that signature looks like. STL support, standard type library? Everything is native. Um, if you create a vector in chai script and return that back to C++, it's going to be a standard vector. It is a standard vector. There's no translation that has to happen. String is shared between the two. Mm. Um, that's the main really oh and standard map um which that's an interesting one because you kind of you have to have something that is your your index type 
And so it's a map of strings to ChiScript objects, which can be anything. And I often get people who are asking, well, why can't I make this a map of ChiScript objects to ChiScript objects? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, there's, there's no orthogonal way to compare an int to a string to a float to a function object. Like, since you could literally put anything on the uh, index side, you know, yeah. how am I going to sort these and how am I going to look them up? So that, I haven't done that yet. I mean, there would be ways to do it, but it would be very, very expensive. Dynamic objects? Uh, you can define your own objects in ChiScript, and that's where the orthogonality starts to fall apart because mm. you just created a new type in ChiScript. Well, there's no way for C++ to have any way of knowing what that type is. Right. 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 So you can, you can break this. Um, what about threading? Uh, threading, you can spawn a C++ standard future inside of ChiScript, and it, it, it is a, a normal, it's a, a future thing, and you can act, interact with it how you want to. From C++, you can, um, like I said, you can call the same ChiScript object from multiple threads simultaneously if you want to. Mm-hmm. Um, you can also disable that. So you basically have the asynchronous calling built into ChiScript, so you don't really need to create threads to do that. Yeah, I mean, you, you, you're right. You can And you can do it either way. Um, yeah. Both are supported. Someone recently asked me about, you know, more esoteric things that aren't yet fully part of the standard, like coroutines or fibers. And I'm like, I have absolutely no idea. You're going to have to try that and then tell me how it worked for you. Sounds like something <laughs> I'd get at GNC, actually. Fibers. <laughs> fibers. Co- <laughs> what the heck did you say there? Co-what? Coroutines? Coroutines. Okay. So, .NET rocks. I mean, .NET supports coroutines of some sort, does not? Yeah, it's just something that we don't talk about all that much. I just don't hear it. You don't hear it in everyday conversation on our show anyway. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, A lot of the C++ community is game programmers, and a lot of game programmers apparently are used to coroutine-like concepts for things like scripting the behavior of uh you know um an npc or something in the game and so lua has a very popular scripting engine to use with c plus plus in the gaming environment and lua has native support for coroutines so i've gotten requests in the past for chai script to have its own form of coroutine but um i have not yet implemented that it would be challenging with the architecture that i have so, uh, you said that people are asking you for some esoteric things. Do you think that you have already implemented everything that needs to be implemented to call it a fully functional scripting language, or are there still things that you personally want to uh, to add to it? Um, it's, you know, I, there's always a to-do list of things. Yeah. Um, you know, so, there's a couple of random things, like I've I have pre-increment plus plus and, you know, pre-decrement, but I don't have Mm. post because that's much harder to add to the parser, actually. Ah. Uh, So there's a couple of things like that where some parser cleanups could happen and I could do that. Um, And and then there's some things like people want to be able to do inheritance from types that are defined inside of ChiScript. And I would love to be able to do that. That shouldn't take that much more work. Mm -hmm. Um, I would say that probably the most interesting problem that is Difficult to do because ChiScript is header only and we don't have to have multiple um, build steps. So if I might take a step back for just a second, 
one of the reasons that I started working on ChaiScript is the other scripting solutions for C++ tend to have multiple build steps where it parses your header file and generates something for you that is the glue code between your scripting engine and your C++ code. Okay. And ChaiScript doesn't do that. You include a single header file. You can um, just expose what functions you want exposed and just carry on with your life. And it tries to be as automagic as possible. Yeah, great. But one of the things that I can't do is define a type in ChaiScript that derives from a type that was created in C++. And there's actually a lot of compelling uses for this. Like you can make a class that has virtual functions in C++ and expose that to your scripting engine, um, implement those virtual functions, and then pass that back to C++. And now you have something that is like half C++, half script, and hmm. the C++ stuff that's using it could never be the wiser about it. Hmm. But okay. because I don't have multiple build steps and I don't have this code generator, doing that is very difficult. So right. this is one of the things, like uh, one of the features that a lot of people are asking for in a future C++ standard is reflection. So at compile time, if I had compile time reflection in C++, I could walk over a type, say, what are the virtual functions? I could generate the glue code at compile time and not need this intermediate build step. So this particular problem, it is solvable in ChaiScript today, but it requires a lot of... Um, boilerplate code to be written by the person who wants to do this instead of having a way of automatically generating it. So I'd say that's like the biggest thing that's out there that I would like to someday solve. Well, what about your contributors? I mean, it's on GitHub, right? And people can, you know, make pull requests. Do you have anybody who's um, contributed anything such as that or anyone that you might be able to call on for it? There's a few people that have uh, contributed like helper macros and that kind of thing uh, Mm. for some of these, but uh, nothing that in depth. It seems like most of my users, I got a comment actually from someone uh, a year or so ago and, and I told him, you know, trying to get actual feedback from my users is difficult. And he, Mm. and he said that I should take that as a good sign that people are using ChaiScript without much difficulty. So they have no reason to bother me. That's a good point. <laughs> it's a pretty fair statement. I'm just looking at the, the GitHub contribution and seeing, uh, yeah, it's sort of dominated by uh, you and one other person, or it's you and you, isn't it? Uh, it's me and Jonathan, who I mentioned at the uh, in my bio, uh, who helped me create it. Oh, okay. Um, hmm. And then there's been a handful of other people that submit bug fixes when they enter, encounter something. Like, for instance, ChaiScript's built-in JSON parser had an issue with negative floating point numbers or something, and, and I got a patch for that recently that I just accepted. Hmm. Nice. Yeah. But yeah, just a handful of contributors, and it looks like all very specific things. You've been driving this the whole time, and uh, clearly it just works. Yeah. Well, that's what I would like to think. <laughs> I know it's been used in a few commercial projects with success. Um, nice. One user has told me that he's using it in... Uh, real-time audio mixing scenario like you were talking uh, alluding to earlier yeah so um so something like a dj might be able to use uh he's been working on a project like that and saw was used in like a printer distribution system which i thought was interesting wow yeah you never know where your code's going to show up sometimes mm-hmm. no <laughs> uh would you license it under is it just an mit uh it's bsd 
three claws, I believe. Two okay, or three claws, okay. I forget which one. We wanted to make it as free as possible for people to use. So I didn't yeah. choose the GPL. I wanted people yeah. to use it commercially if they want to. Yeah, why not? Yeah, sure. Yeah. It's just, I, I mean, it, clearly you're an advocate for C++. So anything that allow people to, to use C++ routinely and not be making device drivers, you know, just <laughs> as, as a good macro language is a simple way to express something. Right. Yeah. So you're a podcaster too, right? Yes. CPP cast. Yeah, we've been going for over two years now. Well, it's been about two years since I joined CPP Cast. Rob did a few episodes before me. Rob, Rob Irving. Okay, sorry. All right, cool. He is the creator of CPP Cast. Um, I was his second guest on the show, <laughs> and so then I, I've never really been a podcast listener, but I listened to the episode before myself, and then the next several episodes. And at the end of each episode, he was like, "And by the way, I'm I'm looking for." a co-host who, you know, is maybe a little bit coming from the other side of things than I am who likes Linux and that kind of thing. Cause Rob is a windows developer. Oh yeah. Right. And I'm like, I don't know if that was supposed to be directed towards me. Cause that was described to me. You're so like, I contacted hey, him. That's me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I contacted him and he's like, I was hoping that you would respond. So I ended yeah, up apparently as it was directed at you. That's yeah. great. It was funny. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, how many times on your podcast have you talked about calling a pointer to 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 an array of pointers? Uh, never, actually. And that <laughs> is maybe, if I might make a comment, um, you know, I know when you had Kate on, well, I actually, d sorry, did not listen to your episode with Kate, okay. but I know what she talks about. Yeah, sure. And modern C++ development if you see bare pointers being tossed around, you're yeah. probably doing something wrong. That'll yeah. probably come up in a code review. Yeah, you might yeah. want to reconsider it. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> the correct answer is don't do that. Don't do that. Pretty much. And there's no reason to. Sure. And that's part yeah. of like, you know, you keep the code simple. And this is, you know, kind of my point about Compiler Explorer and being able to reason about what the code is doing. If you keep the code simple, keep the stuff on the stack instead of doing dynamic allocations on the heap, the compiler can do amazing things. It can eliminate vast swaths of your code by by evaluating at compile time and yeah, then you know basically faster. return you the answer, you know? Yeah. And you're coming up on show one hundred. You got a have you got a plan? Is there a party? Uh no. We don't have a plan. <laughs> <There's>, <laughs> you there should be. There should I'm be. Just telling you. Take a moment to celebrate. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a milestone, man. A lot of, lot, a lot of podcasts make it to 100. That's right. I celebrated episode 88 because that meant we could go back to the future. <laughs> <laughs> Rob wasn't as excited about that one as I was. <laughs> you know, um, Kate Gregory has a saying, C++, it's your foot. <laughs> <laughs> it's like every language has a slogan, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Java, please wait. <laughs> no, sorry. That's that, that's a cheap shot. Um, where can we learn more about you, what you do, and and about scripting and C plus plus? So I am uh, Lefticus pretty much anywhere, which is you know kind of like Spartacus if you were left-handed, I guess. Got it. Nice. <laughs> so would that make me Righticus? <laughs> <laughs> well, I actually got the the nickname Lefty in college because I was right-handed. Um, you know, college guys. Oh, okay. okay. Say no more. It was just completely random weirdness that a friend said, and then it, it just grew from there, and Lefticus has been my handle um, okay. since then. Neat. And uh, any resources you can point us to? 
Uh, so I, I, well, my GitHub, you can, you've mentioned chiscript.com. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, C++ Weekly is my YouTube channel, which um, I'm having a lot of fun with. Great. Um, mm-hmm. And also I will be giving a class on C++ Object Lifetime in Denver here on April 20th. And cool. you can find that uh, on Eventbrite easily enough. Or if you find me on Twitter as Lefticus, you can you can find it there. That sounds really great. Jason, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thanks. All right. And we'll talk to you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a